Welcome to the All-American Chapel Protestant Service Podcast. During this week's sermon, Chaplain Randy Griffin preaches from the book of John, chapter 2. Okay, you may not have realized it when you walked in this morning, so I hope you wore your best because we're going to a wedding. All right? Now, you guys who came in in shorts, okay, you may feel a little uncomfortable this morning, but that's okay. We don't, we don't mind. Just, just we're, we're glad you're here. But today, we're going to a wedding. So you can go ahead and uh, open your Bibles, if you want to, back to the Gospel of John. That's where we've been camping out, starting a couple of weeks back with Chaplain Grotti as he opened the series for us, Chaplain Anderson, as he um, uh, gave us that great classic passage from John chapter 1 last week on who is Jesus, Jesus is God. Well, today we're going to continue uh, from a passage in John chapter 2. John chapter 2, and, and like I said, we're going to a wedding this morning because weddings are special. They're certainly special in our country, in our culture, but I would even go a step further and say that probably in about every culture group you would want to study, weddings are special. But I would even take that one step further and say that a wedding in the first century Jewish culture was special beyond our wildest imagination. So that's where we're headed this morning. That's where we're going to go this morning. You know, I think it's interesting, first, that this is where we find Jesus today. This is the place, a wedding, that Jesus would choose to literally launch His earthly ministry on earth. That's where He would perform His first miracle. And that's what we're going to look at today. You know, it's a little hard to fathom that Jesus' first miracle would not be raising Lazarus from the dead or feeding the 5,000 or walking on the water. It's interesting that that Jesus would use the occasion of a wedding celebration to perform His first miracle. That at face value, this miracle really doesn't seem to be that spectacular. So, So what is it about this occasion? What is it about this miracle that we need to see and understand as God's people? Well, I'm going to submit to you right up front this morning that the miracle 
that we're looking at today is the miracle of grace. This is the miracle of grace. You see, God has always been in the business of grace. So let me just take a quick second to remind us of what grace is. Webster Dictionary defines grace as a virtue coming from God, unmerited divine assistance given to humans for their regeneration or sanctification. A more common definition within theological circles of grace is simply God's unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. Chaplain Anderson, last week, he alluded to this in his sermon from chapter 1, in verse 16, as, as John the Baptist declared, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. That phrase just emphasizes the superabundance of grace that has been displayed by God, especially towards believers. God is in the business of grace. And this miracle that we're looking at this morning is just a demonstration of God's grace. Our communion table that we have set this morning is a demonstration, a reminder of God's grace. One of the reasons that we're going through this, this series on the Gospel of John is, is to learn what it means to meet Jesus on His terms. John's Gospel, as we have already alluded to, it's different from all of the other three Gospels because it was written decades after the other three Gospels. So John is writing now with the idea of, of not just giving us facts about Jesus, but he wants to help us understand what these facts really mean and how this information can help us know who Jesus really is. John is, is pointing to and showing us the signs that lead to Jesus. So I want you to come with me now. Come with me to this wedding, and let's see how Jesus uses this simple miracle to demonstrate His amazing grace. Look at John chapter 2. It starts on the third day. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, 
And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars. There were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who drew the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Before we continue with the wedding, I want you to notice a short phrase in verse 1 and a short phrase in verse 11. John starts this account with, on the third day. He ends this section by writing, this the first of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. Don't overlook, don't overlook the timing of this event and the impact of this event. Because contained within, within those two phrases that literally bookend this event what we see is the gospel story unfolding before us. So to grasp the meaning of the phrase, on the third day, we need to back up into chapter 1. And we need to understand what took place three days prior to Jesus coming to this wedding. And we see that three days before Jesus arrived at this wedding, that John the Baptist declared publicly Jesus to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. 
the one who would be sacrificed for our sin. And then John, the writer of this gospel, says that three days later, Jesus manifested his glory. So what sign is John showing us here? John is already pointing to the resurrection. He's already showing us what Jesus is ultimately going to do to manifest His full glory. The unfolding of the gospel is taking place at a wedding. You know, it's interesting, I think, to note that Jesus, knowing how limited his time was from this point to the cross, that he would even take the time to attend a wedding. Because a wedding in that day, in that culture, it would go on for days. A week was common for a wedding to take place for an entire week. Now, we don't know the exact connection of this bride and groom to Jesus. Scholars speculate that, that Mary, Jesus' mother, was, was likely a close friend to the groom's family. Because as we see in the text, Mary was already present at the wedding. She was most likely already there to help with the, with the preparation for the ceremony and the party reception that was going to follow the wedding. Mary was already there. And so now we see Jesus, by invitation we're told, He shows up with His followers, with five of His new disciples. And one of them includes the writer of this gospel, John himself. We don't know exactly how long Jesus had been at the wedding, but the next thing we read in John's narrative is when the wine ran out. Not good. Not good. Especially in a culture of hospitality. This is going to be a huge, huge embarrassment. As a matter of fact, some scholars say that unlike our culture, in the first century Jewish culture, that incident alone could have set the groom's family up for a lawsuit by the bride's family for failing to be properly prepared to care for the bride and her family. This was a huge, huge moment of embarrassment. 
The situation is desperate. And Mary, Mary knows it very well. The wine is out. So what's the solution? What's the solution? Ask Jesus. Ask Jesus. That should work. Go and say to Jesus, we're out of wine. Would you help us? And that's exactly what Mary does in verse 3. The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Well, we know what the problem is now. But before we move on too far, I want us to take a moment and examine the dialogue that goes on between Jesus and Mary. Because, quite honestly, it's, it's Jesus' response here to his mother Mary that, that, that gets a lot of ink from the Bible scholars. So let's talk about it for just a moment. Mary says to Jesus, they have no wine. Jesus replies, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. You know, this response from Jesus, it's, it seems to be cold, indifferent, it even sounds to our ear disrespectful. We're troubled because of how Jesus speaks to his mother. You know, if he's so full of compassion, why would he address his mother that way? Well, I submit to you that his response is a more formal response, but not so much in that culture and that day. The term woman was a common term to address women in that day. He's not being disrespectful. I think that if he had have been meaning to be disrespectful, that like any good mother and any good Jewish mother, I think if Mary had detected that he was being unkind, she would have simply said, how dare you speak to me that way? That would have been her response. Another thing I want you to be aware of is this is not the only time that Jesus addresses Mary as woman. There's another time that Jesus speaks to Mary precisely the same way. It's when he's hanging on the cross. Do you remember what he says? 
he says to her, Woman, behold your son. And then he says to John, standing next to her, and son, take care of my mother. You know, there's no doubt that Jesus and Mary knew all through their life and relationship that there was something just not normal or earthly, not always maternal or familial in their relationship. They understood that. But Jesus goes on to say to her, what does this have to do with me? So Jesus is not just addressing his mother in a more formal way, but what Jesus is also doing is he is starting to distance himself from earthly obligations. Because Jesus knew one thing. He knew he had to be about his father's business. And that was really the message that he was conveying to Mary. What does this have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. I need to be about my father's business. And once again, you see that same response by Jesus when he was 12 years old, if you remember, and he was left behind as his family returned from the celebration of the Passover in Jerusalem. Jesus became separated from the family. They would go back to search for him and find him in the temple. And his response would simply be, why are you surprised? I've got to be about my father's business. You know, even with this strange dialogue that seems to challenge our understanding, what you must not take away from this conversation is that Mary totally gets it. Mary totally gets it. She doesn't argue with Jesus. She doesn't rebuke Jesus. She doesn't threaten him with the classic line that all mothers use, you wait until your father gets home. How many of us have heard that throughout our lifetime? No. Mary doesn't do that at all. Mary doesn't question. She simply says to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. Just be ready. Whatever he tells you to do, regardless of how ridiculous it may sound. Don't question it. Do it. Do it. 
That's Mary's response. Do whatever he tells you to do. I think what Mary is showing us here is that she is ready to ask anything of Jesus. But she's also willing to yield everything to Jesus. She's ready to ask anything, but willing to yield everything. You and I, we must do the same thing. We must be willing to ask anything of Jesus, but ready to yield everything to Him. Now, that's the simple story in this narrative. But there is more to this story that, that I want us to see. I want us to examine for just a moment the implication of this miracle for us. Mary comes to Jesus for help. She submits to His authority. Jesus knowing that he is to be about his father's business, extends grace, unmerited favor. He extends grace to his mother. He extends grace to this family. He literally rescues this family, if you would, and spares them from a huge cultural Embarrassment that would have brought great shame and dishonor upon them. What would it mean for us today if we were ready to ask Jesus for anything, but willing to yield to Jesus everything? We have a tendency to think from time to time that when it comes to Jesus, who can raise the dead, who can walk on water, who can calm the sea, that we better not trouble Him with the little stuff of life. But even the Apostle Paul, he reminds us in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known unto God. So we can bring to Him a wedding embarrassment. We can bring to Him family embarrassments. We can bring to Jesus our shame our guilt, our pain, our trouble, and the things that, that we may think are beneath Him, we can bring these things to Jesus. All Jesus says is, ask me for anything, 
but be ready to yield everything. We do this with the understanding, yet, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Because that's exactly what Jesus did, if you remember. The night that he was arrested and would within hours be hanging on a cross in the garden of Gethsemane as he prayed and and just agonized with the Father. He said, Father, if possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but you will. Jesus was ready to ask anything, but willing to yield everything. The final implication of this miracle I want you to see is how abundantly Jesus provided. Jesus provides a great quantity of wine we see. There were six stone jars in verse 6. And these stone jars were used for the Jewish rites of external purification. Each held 20 to 30 gallons. And what we learn is that Jesus, Jesus just gives a lot of what is needed. But it's not just the quantity of the wine that's there. It's also the quality of the wine that is emphasized. There are a couple of reasons for this. One reason is because in Jewish custom, the provision of wine was the provision of blessing. Now the focus for many of us is the wine steward, the master of the feast saying, usually when people have had too much to drink, they don't care anymore that the bad wine comes out. But this is the best wine that you're saving for last. I think what we need to see is not just how good the wine is, but where it's coming from. Where the wine is coming from. The jars were used for purification. What Jesus is saying is, You have used water for external cleansing, but now I'm going to give you something that will cleanse you internally. There's going to to be a night very soon that Jesus is going to say to his disciples, this cup, this cup, is the covenant in my blood. All of you drink of it. Why? 
because you will be purified by what I ultimately provide. My blood, my body for your souls. It's the internal purification that is being signaled here. And God's people would no longer be hoping for just something externally. But now they had the hope of eternity, of being cleansed in their spirit, in their soul. The internal cleansing that would be needed to establish that relationship back to God. We have the hope of much more today than just a temporary external cleansing. We have all the hope and strength that is offered by Jesus to face a fallen and a hard world. Jesus is showing us by this first miracle of grace that He can provide for all of our needs and that He can do it with abundance. Why would you trust Him to do that? Well, I remind you again, Jesus is in the business of grace. Maybe you need His grace this morning to cover your sense of guilt and shame. Maybe you need His grace to cover your sin and provide you with a relationship back to God. I encourage you this morning, follow the example of Mary. Ask Jesus for anything, but be willing to yield everything. Jesus is pre prepared to provide for you the most satisfying way to cleanse and fill and heal heal you internally, spiritually, Jesus is ready. And this first sign that John shows us of what Jesus came to do, this first sign that John shows us and uses to point us to the ultimate work of grace that Jesus has come to provide. Notice again quickly verse 11. This is the first of His signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested His glory. And then notice that final phrase, and His disciples believed in Him. His disciples believed in Him. The impact of this miracle 
for the disciples was it caused them to believe in Him. What about you? What about you? What does Jesus have to do for you to believe in Him? Well, John isn't finished with the story yet. As a matter of fact, the story doesn't really conclude until the book of the Revelation, which John again will write. And it's interesting to note that the story will end at another wedding. This wedding feast, this wedding feast will be the consummation of all of God's people who have trusted in Jesus. They will all come together at this great wedding feast of the Lamb. And at this wedding feast, the people of God, the new Jerusalem, will come down from heaven, adorned as a bride. And at that point, God will wipe away all the tears from their eyes. Jesus just seems to use weddings to show us who He really is and what He can really do if you will ask anything of Him but be willing to yield everything to Him. God is in the business of grace. And Jesus made that clear as He performed His first miracle at a wedding in Canaan. The miracle of grace. Pray with me. Father, I thank You, Holy Lord, for what you have shown us by this wedding, by this miracle, by this demonstration of your grace. Now, Lord, this morning we have the privilege of coming to your table again. We have, Lord, 
the opportunity to be reminded afresh of how great your grace is. So, Father, I pray that in these moments that we have, to be reminded of your sacrifice, your broken body, your blood shed for our sins, help this time to be a time in which we are truly humbled for what you have done by providing our salvation. And I ask this, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. That was this week's All-American Chapel Protestant Service podcast. Please tune in for next week's podcast.